Well, good morning. We are glad to see you this morning. Would you turn to someone around you and shake their hand? Welcome them. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable touching them, then just say, welcome. Good morning. <sighs> We're all feeling a little better with a, a, an hour of sleep, but some of you had to work an hour longer, so that's a little tougher on you and for you that we, we're praying for you this morning also. We continue in our series through the book of James. We're actually getting close to the end. Today we finish up chapter 4. Next week, Travis will lead us into chapter 5. And so today, uh, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And can we talk about arrogance for a few moments together? And that is as it contrasts to that of grace reliance, arrogance and grace reliance. So I want to start out a little different than normal and just read the text to you, these few verses together, and then tie it back into what we have thus learned in through the book of James for a moment. And then we will head off into these, this thought about arrogance for a few moments together. It's James chapter 4, starting with verse 13. It says this, Come now, you who say, tomorrow, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? He says. And this is an interesting pause for a moment because we have said from the very beginning that James is a pause in our life, in our busy schedules to say, Hey, Take a moment, look at your life, breathe for a second in in all the business of your life and really take some inventory and assessment of your life. And so this is what he goes on to say, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What a great way to start out the morning by being reminded that we are a mist in this world. Indeed, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. For whoever, for whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And so what we see for a moment, tying this back into everything that we have thus learned through the book of James, is this, that we continually see this thread of faith without works is dead. And so what James says, hey, if you have it, live it, is what he says. If you have faith, then you live out that faith within your life. Genuine faith, as we remember, as explained to us by James, is that of loving the Lord our God with all our soul, all our heart, and all our mind. And the workings of that, the outworkings of that faith is we love our neighbor as ourself. And so we see that thread through here. Then we talked about a few weeks ago, we talked about wisdom. And James reminds us there are two types of wisdom that we experience in life, that of one of earthly wisdom. And earthly wisdom is simply this, that we think that, well, God exists just for us, and so we are the uppermost uh, of His affection. And so that it's about us all the time. We are the sun, and everything revolves around us. And that we have no real eternal view of life, but just what is in kind of the space that we currently live. And then he says there is also heavenly wisdom, and that is that we realize that God is about God. God is about God, about His glory in, our, in this world and our joy. So God is about God, and that we view life with this eternal views, thus that it makes room in our life for loss and for struggle and for those moments when we simply don't have all the answers to the questions of our lives. And then we talked about, yet James comes up with this question, what is the cause of quarrels and fights among you? And he says, hey, it is not this external, but this internal thing that it's those passions within your own heart. It's this quarrel between that of you being a friend to the world or you being a friend to God. And so he brings up that scenario of us choosing to be defriending God because we don't get what we think we deserve in life. 
And so what is God's response to us defriending him? And that is that he gives us more grace. That where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. It's an amazing thing. And then what is our response to that? And our response is that what it is, is we are to submit to God. And he says, here's how you submit. You resist the devil. He said, you pursue him and you simply are serious about the sin of your life. And it brings us to this point of humility. It brings us to the point of humility in our life. It does. We see that. In fact, if you go back and look at wisdom, that we understand that that humility is a characteristic of wisdom. It says in chapter 3, I read it real quick, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. It's also the platform that you and I receive grace from. Verse or chapter 4, But he who gives more grace, therefore it says... Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so what we understand is that it's natural for James now to confront the opposite of humility in our life, and that is arrogance. That's arrogance. And so how do we get to this point where we're talking about arrogance? Well, we finished last week with verse 12 of chapter 4, and I will read this to you real quick, and it kind of brings us to where we need to be today. In verse 12, it says that there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So he begins to talk about arrogance, and he even continues that as we begin later on in chapter 5 together. But he talks about arrogance. And so, you know, you're sitting there and you're thinking, uh, you don't see yourself as being arrogant this morning. You probably already come to that conclusion that I'm not arrogant. And some of you are thinking, Mark, it's really arrogant of you to assume that we're arrogant today, right? Yes, I I just don't understand because I don't see myself in the the light of that. Because, you know, I I haven't had an arrogant thought in well over a month in my entire life. Yeah, I, I haven't had that. And does that, well, that makes us somewhat arrogant, does it? It's easy to dismiss James' teaching sometimes, I think, by the examples that he uses to illustrate. And when we look at the text that we read that we're going to talk about today, 13 through 17, we say, you know what, that's not me. That is really not me, and I'm really not an arrogant person, and I, and, and I actually don't function that way. And, and first of all, he talks about a business person that goes on a trip, and he does all these kinds of things, but yet it, it is us. It is us because it really ties into all of this, our life and how we live our life and the things that we go through. But we don't see ourselves as people going around bragging about our lives all the time. So what he's really talking about here is also, I think, a very much a biblical definition of arrogance for us, a biblical definition. So let's take a few moments together through the book of James in these few chapter, verses and let's kind of define what biblical arrogance looks like. So here's a couple of thoughts. The first is this. It's an arrogance that is based on what we think we know. It's an arrogance based on what we think we know. Verse 13, he says this, come now. He says, hey, take a moment. Don't draw any conclusions yet to what I'm going to tell you, but open your heart and mind to what you're about to hear. Then he goes on to say, you who say, and he's, he's speaking to all of us because he's about to actually use as an illustration five things that we all experience in our busy lives almost every day. So he starts and he says this, today or tomorrow we will go. We all plan to set on a trip. Yes, at some point you plan to be here today. 
Yes, you did. At some point, whether it was last night or early in the week, or maybe you just got up this morning and say, let's flip a coin where we're going to go to church. I don't know. You know. And so we, at some point, you made a plan to be here today. And then he goes on to say, into such and such a town that they, they plan to arrive at a destination. When you left from your house today, your plan was to roll up here in the parking lot of Hope Fellowship and worship here with us today. And then he goes to today and spend a year there. You did not come this morning planning to spend a year, did you? Yes. And I know sometimes that I can preach rather long. I understand that. And I appreciate you loving me through that, but not, not a whole year because you're saying to yourself, Mark, if you're going to go that long, I'm done. I'm out of here. And I, and I do understand that. Yes. But you plan to spend a certain time to where you go and you trade and you're going to make a profit. You plan for results because you came this morning. You got up. You made plans to come. You, you understand that. You plan to be at this destination. You did. You plan to spend a certain amount of time here. Absolutely. And then about results. Yes. You come desiring something. You want to be encouraged by God. You want to be challenged by scripture. You want to leave here today with God speaking to you in some way. Or maybe you're just really honest and you say, that you came for the donuts. You know, maybe that's the honest part about this, right? Yes. And see, all of a sudden, what we dismissed is not really applying to us. James's illustration is us. It's exactly our very, very busy lives. So you say, well, Mark, what's the problem then? Is it planning? So I'm going to just stop planning. That's what, you know, that's what I'm going to do then. Is that what it is? It's, it, is it intending to arrive at a certain destination? Is that the problem? And so if that's the case, or is it my busy life, then I'm going to start taking things out of my calendar and my schedule and telling people I can't make this appointment. Is that what is wrong? And what is wrong here, and I really want us to understand this before we go any further, is that these are plans that are made in the mind. They're spoken with the heart. Come now, you who say, he says, without taking a true view of life and of God. That's exactly what it is. It's setting these plans, putting these things into action, and we don't really have this true view of life and of God, and we're not taking those things into account. So here is what I want to say to you. This teaching is not necessarily about you trimming things from your schedule. Maybe that's what you need to do, but that's not really the center and the point of what we're going to talk about this morning. But it's how you approach your schedule. It's how you approach your life. It's how you approach all the demands and all the things and everything that's pulling at you. It's how you approach all your responsibilities in life. Because here's the thought. This information-based arrogance that James is talking about it's an assumption. It's an assumption on your part and our, my part that we control the times and the happenings of our lives. It's an assumption that we are in control of those kinds of things. And so James says, I'm not going to leave any stone unturned for you. I'm going to cover everything about your life. So he talks about time, tomorrow and today, purpose, we're going to go, place, you're going to go to this town, the goals, you're going to go there and you're going to trade, the reward, you're going to make a profit, and he covers it all because it's, it's our busy life. It, it really is that he, that he addresses this morning. It's all the things that are demanded of us. I don't know if you ever, ever feel the weight of all the demands of life. If you're just breathing, you're sitting here, then you do, right? You do, yes. And, then, and you feel that. And so what he's doing, he's, I think, addressing a major cause of the 
probably the greatest disease of our culture. And that disease is that we live life overextended. Yeah. We live life, and man, has this been something in my heart recently. I, it has that we live life overextended. So let's level the ground for a moment, and, and it's time to be honest, right? This is church. You've got to be honest. You're friends with everyone around you because you agree to them already. How many of you in your life today, how many of you feel overextended? Let me see your hand if you feel overextended, okay? Well, good. Terrific. Some of you are putting up both hands like, oh God, help me. You don't realize how overextended I am in my life. And, and we do, yes. And we, we're overextended in our commitments. Commitments are not wrong within themselves. You've made commitments to your job or to your education or you make commitments to friends, or your family, or your spouse. I understand that. So it's not wrong within themselves. But I think many times in life, we make commitments. We, we make commitments that we know that we cannot keep because maybe some of us are people pleasers or other things, and we make commitments we're going to keep. So we're stressed out beyond max. And, and that time pressure, we feel that all the time. And here's where all that leads. That leads to a spirit of dissatisfaction within our lives. It does that the events that we hope are going to fulfill us can never weigh under or, or stand under the weight of those expectations within our lives. And so what happens, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that we become contemptuous toward those situations and people and ultimately God because we're not getting what we think we deserve. And though fear sets in and worry and anxiety, and some of you are feeling simply overstressed and overextended by me just bringing this subject up. You do. Like, Mark, I, 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 I want to come here and not think about all those things in my life. I, I came across a quote this week, and it's written by another James, and his, name's is, his name is James Dobson. You've probably heard of him over the years. And this is what he said. I love this quote. If the devil can't make you sin, he will make you too busy, and that's just as bad. And I thought about it. A, there's great meaning in this. So I have a question for you. There is a question in your notes this morning. There is a line after that question. The purpose of that line is for you to write something there. So here's the question. How and or where have you overextended yourself? Mark, do you really want us to write something in there? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Yes, I think it helps. It helps me when I just write things down, you know, just actually pencil and paper and, and just actually write them down, it helps me to, I think, focus on things and really take assessment of situations in my life. So how and or where have you overextended yourself? Write something in there. One thing. You say, Mark, well, it's the person sitting next to me. Well, you know what? This is church. Maybe you need to be honest about that, right? Mm-hmm. You say, well, I'm on staff here at this church, and it's my job. So, well, put that on there, because I'm not going to see that. That is, I want you to be honest. Is this about saying no? Is this just about minimalizing my life? Well, yes and no in some ways, because here's the thought. I don't do those self-help sermons. What I realize about Scripture and theology is this, that we freely, if we understand the character and the nature of God, then that will always lead us to help in our life. So what do I do about my over? extended life. What do I do? Ah, James has some direction for us. It's it's verse 14 of chapter 4. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And a better translation of that, if you look at it in the Greek, uh, uh, 
manuscript, it said, you don't even know what your life will be tomorrow, he says. What is your life? That moment of pause to really look at yourself. And he says this, you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. What is your life like? Wow. What is your life? Well, my life is like a list is what my life is like, you know? My, uh, my life is like all these things are demanded of me and everybody's pulling at me and everybody needs something from me and it's not always bad. And I understand that's my place in life and I'm not trying to in any way be derelict of all of my duties. That's not it at all. But it's the time to reflect in our life and take inventory. It is. It's the mirror, it's the mirror that James talks about way back in the beginning of, of this a teaching about how you look into that mirror and you look and you take inventory of your life and you say, these are the things as I line them up with scripture that really need to change within my life. So what is my life like? Well, if you're going to ask all of that, then I think you have to go to this next question. And, and that is simply, this is what is the solution to our time, stress, and pressure? What is the solution to our our time, stress, and all the pressure of our life. What's the solution? What is it? Well, our mind immediately goes to some things, I believe, because this is where my mind goes. So I take out my phone, and I look at my calendar. I think, you know, hit delete, 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 delete. I can take that off. I can take that off. Yeah, I start sending people, you know, the, I start uninviting. You know how on your calendar sometimes you can invite people to something to remind them of a day? Well, I start uninviting everybody on my calendar, you know, that I'm not showing up for this, and I'm not going to do that. No, I'm going to send out some text saying, no, I'm not going to keep that commitment. I shouldn't have made it to begin with. And, and you're going to do all of that, and I'm not going to work tomorrow because that really stresses me out. I'm not going to go. So I'm going to send a message to my boss today and say, James says, so I'm not going to go. And Mark says, so I'm not going to go. You know, so I'm not showing up for work. Good, wonderful. I, I just hope you have a lot of savings after you get fired. And, and then, you know, and, and I'm not going to go to class tomorrow and I'm going to send a message to my professor because James says that I'm really stressed out. And I don't need to go that. But what is James really saying? That's the question. What is he really saying? That the solution to my stress, here's what I believe he's saying, begins with humility. Now, Mark, what in the world does that, what does that mean? Let, let's flesh this out for a moment. And I think after we talk about it a few minutes, it, it will make some sense to you. It begins with humility because it comes from this knowledge of what he just said to me, that my life is like a mist. Unless the eternal God establishes me, my life is like a mist that I don't know what tomorrow will bring. In fact, if I'm really honest, I don't know in my life if there is a tomorrow. And, and, and in Christ, I'm okay with that because I trust him, but I don't know that. So what James does in making this illustration to you and I, he chooses this Old Testament image of a mist is where he gets this from. And he uses this to illustrate to you and I about humility in life. Because this mist, when he calls us a mist, it's something more. It's something more than just being about the longevity of our life. It's something more than realizing that God holds the longevity of our life in his very hands. I understand that. I realize that. I know that part. You know, if you've been in church long enough, then you understand what that means. Yes, but it's more than just about God holding my life in his hands. But this is about reliance. And this is about mercy, and this is about grace. Can I show you where 
where I believe James gets this illustration of a mist from. It's from the book of Hosea, chapter 6 and verse 4. And he says this, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? And what shall, and what shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. It's the very same words. It's talking about the judgment of God, that we cannot stand in the very judgment of God. If so, then we're like that mist or that dew that goes early away. Let me show you another example. It's Hosea 13 and verse 3. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist and like the dew that goes early away, like the, like the chafe that swirls from the threshing floor, or like the smoke from a window, he says. And what he's talking about, if you look at this text, it's about how the people turn to idols so quickly and away from God, and they're carried away in the judgment of God. If you look at Psalm 1 and verse 4, the wicked are not so, they're like the, the chaff that the wind drives away, he said. It's the contrast of the stability of the righteous and that of the wicked being blown away in the wind of judgment. And when I look at this... And I apply this to what James is saying to me about being a mist. It brings up two things for me. One, that we are utterly dependent on God. Absolutely. We, we state that all the time. And I believe that most of us believe that we're utterly dependent upon God. But we're also incomp- we're, we're incapable of standing before God's judgment on our lives. Not only does he sustain our life, not only does God hold our life in his very hands, but he sustains my life today by his mercy is exactly what James is saying. It's a humility in understanding that every day when I, when I get up, that this day is given to me. Yes, and it's, it's by God as a gift of the good father to me. My life is held in his very hands every day. But not only that, but it's sustained by God's mercy. It's the same because without his mercy, I'm blown away like a mist in the morning without the mercy and the grace of God that covers my life. It's mercy. So what I realize is this. That every moment that I live, every breath that I take is because of the mercy of God. That God holds every moment, every situation, every circumstance in his hand. But yet what I understand is it because of his mercy. And it brings this greater and deeper meaning to me. Because what this means is this. That every 24 hours in my life, they're not given to me automatically. Realize that. They're not given to me automatically. God controls time. He gives that as the good father to his children. He does this. And we would be blown away by the judgment of God if it were not for God's mercy. So it matters how I view life. It matters how I view the situations of my life. It matters how I view my schedule and my commitments. That that view of life of that God not only holds my life in the palm of his hands, but it beholds and sustains it by his mercy. And what I realize is this, that it simply shapes and informs everything that I do. It shapes and informs, it informs all those moments of my life when I'm struggling with being stressed out, when I'm struggling with being maxed out in all those areas of my life, that I look at in the fact that God holds my life in the palm of his hand and is sustained by his mercy. So, so Mark, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? I'm talking about not just seeing this, 
as God being the sustainer of my life, but how he sustains my life through his mercy. And that helps me to frame my life with, I think, a God view of things. Because sometimes when you hear messages like this, these are like drive-by guiltings. It's like, man, yes, I'm overextended. Look at all these things I'm doing. And so I got to go back and I got to remove all these things from my life. And I got to defriend everybody. And I got to do this and I got to do this. And I got to make all these changes. And God is saying, wait, just a moment, just, just a moment. Maybe it would be better if you would have a God view, that you would have a view that I hold all things in the palm of my hand, that I sustain your life by my very mercy, that I'm in control of every event and every possibility and every moment of your life, that you would look at your life in that way. Because you can't cut everything out of your life. Did you know that? I, I don't know if you know that or not. You can't. You, can, you can't remove everybody that is dependent upon you. You can't do that. That is the reality of this world that we live in. You can't, you, you, you can't go home and tell all your kids, you know, they're seven, eight, and nine. Listen, you guys got to get packed up and move out of here because you're way too stressful for me, you know? So he says, doggone it, you're racing that off your list right now. Just scratch that out. That's what I was going to do. My goodness, no, you can't do that. Yes, you're still going to have some responsibilities. How do you see those responsibilities in your life? Your mindset matters. That is exactly what James is teaching us, that your mindset matters, that when there's arrogance based on what you think that you know, that you control tomorrow, that you know all those moments about tomorrow, that you know everything is going to happen in your life tomorrow, absolutely not. You humble yourself into the light that God knows everything, that God is in control of all things, that God sustains you, God gives your very breath to you by his mercy, that he has shown toward you in your life, and that is enough. So when I can't eliminate things, when I can't remove them, when I can't adjust those things, when I can't stop doing those things, I do realize that God gives me mercy, and God gives me grace, and God gives me strength, and maybe that God has me in this situation so he can teach me something eternally. It's a mindset, and that really matters. It's how I see those things in my life that really makes a difference. So it takes me to this second thought about arrogance, and that is is an arrogance that is found in our approach to life. It's found in our approach to life. Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will, we will live and do this or that. Not only does God govern the length of our life, but he governs the accomplishments of our life, what takes place in our life daily. And that really brings some great truth and light to that of us being a mist. And he says this, verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Listen, the, the, the life of reliance is deeper than words. It's more than just you and I saying, if the Lord wills. And I want to tell you, never judge anybody who uses that term humbly to recognize the sovereignty of God in their life. Don't judge anybody. But just saying those words, just using that term, if the Lord wills, I don't believe truly lines up completely or fulfills James' instruction. And, and the other thing I think we have to talk about is this, that this is not about eliminating planning within your life. Well, I'm just going to sit back and I'm just going to trust God and, and I'm not going to plan and I'm going to put anything in order in my life or anything about the future that I'm not going to do that. No, 
James says in verse 15, he says to do this or that. That planning is absolutely what God wants you to do. That, that's not about this. But I think it's about that selfish or self-centered or, or that self-important or self-sufficient planning where we relegate God into certain areas of our lives and we keep areas to ourselves and we're excluding God from the totality of our existence. So it's not that he's saying, hey, just throw some words in there and that's going to fix things. That's not it. And he's not saying, hey, just stop planning and that's going to fix things. And that's going to put you in a whole world of hurt, a different world of hurt. I believe that. He's pointing us to this humble reliance on God based on the understanding that we're dependent on God for every instant of our lives. That's grace reliance. This reliance shapes our mindset. It shapes the words that we use. It shapes our attitude that we approach life with, that we are sustained by His mercy. And when you read these words, what we realize is this, that these words are to be spoken in our lives. I think that is important. This truth is to be known within our lives. It becomes a substance of our conversation that we talk about this. Yeah, we talk about this where we work or, or at school to make Christ known, but we talk about simply that this reliance is based on, on the understanding that we are dependent on God for every moment of our life. It's a true view of life, to be known, believed, and to embrace. And James says, hey, if you believe this and if you say that, then live like this. Live like it. But I go back to this text and James uses a term that they boast in their arrogance. They boast in their arrogance. Now, just for a moment, get a little academic, but hang on. I don't do this a lot. But, but the preposition in follows the verb boasting. Say, Mark, are you really going to talk like that? Are you really going to do that? Well, just, just give me a minute, okay? Hang on. Don't, don't judge me yet, okay? That preposition in follows the verb boasting. Thus, it refers to the object of the boasting. And that makes the arrogance not merely the manner of their boasting, but rather the object of their boasting. What, is, what does that mean? There, you know, we talk about this before. We've talked about this a number of times. There's two types of sin or categories. Those are the sins of that of omission, where you're neglecting to recognize that God governs all the areas of your life. But then there is that sin of commission, and this is what James is talking about. It's a, I think there's a deeper problem there because they're boasting about their own self-sufficiency is what they're doing. And that's why James says this is evil, because it's a denial of God's authority and grace that he controls all things in their life. They're saying, I can do this. They're boasting in their arrogance that I don't need God. I can take care of that. And maybe you say, but Mark, I've never said those words, but yet James is so much about action. He's simply saying, hey, but it's about how you live your life. Understand this. It's about how you act. It's about what you do. It's about the decisions that you make. How are you living this out within your life? And so many times we say that to God, that we're boasting in our self-sufficiency, that I can handle this. If God can't get this done today, then I'm going to take over and I'm going to do this and I'm going to make this work. I've been waiting way too long for God to move in my life. And so I'm going to take over and I'm going to do this. It's arrogant not to believe with your heart, to confess with your mouth that ultimately God governs everything in your life through his mercy and his grace and his love. He governs everything. And there is great rest in that because what I realize is this is not about me. This is not all left up to me. 
It's not. It's not just about me. And I agree there's some very practical aspects to this teaching that you can, that, that you can I think, um, employ into your life. Yes, I'm not taking that away from it. But I think there's some great deeper spiritual significance that significance to all this. And that is, this is not a just about me trying to fix everything. It's not. It's not just about me trying to make adjustments to all of my life about just going around saying, well, if the Lord wills, it's, there's, there's more than that. There's more than all of that to me. Because what I realize is sometimes my expectations uh, are, are greater than what the world can handle and things cave around me and I get contemptuous as we talked about before and all those kinds of things that we have kind of gone through over our teaching. But when I can't change those things in my life, then it's about how I approach those things in my life. And I realize that God governs Every moment of my life, and he sustains every moment of my life by his mercy. So I maybe I look at my my job differently. Huh. Maybe I look at this relationship in a different way. Maybe I look at my kids in a different way. Because truly, mindset matters. Mindset does matter. So how are you viewing those things that you can't change? Are you viewing them in the, the, the light of, well, I can control this? Then, then that's arrogance. Oh, I, can, I can fix this. Or are you viewing it in this humility of God? God governs every moment and instant of my life. And he sustains my very existence by his mercy. So that the next 24 hours it rolls around, I'm not automatically given that. God sustains that. And so if God sustains that, then God knows where I am. And God knows what I'm experiencing. And God knows the pressure that is in my life. God knows what, what I feel. And, and, and God understands all of that. So, you know, I think we have to realize that God controls all of our time and all of our circumstances. He governs all of those things. He sustains all of that by His mercy. So He's aware of where you are. He's aware of that. I think we have this weird view of time sometimes, things, sometimes that we have this weird view of time that time, time kind of rolls on, on, you know, kind of rolls on on its own kind of deal, unaccompanied. It's sort of just like, it's this entity, entity in the universe that kind of exists on its own, it's time. And then every once in a while, God kind of steps in the middle of time and he occupies a space and he does his will, he does his thing, and then he kind of steps back and time rolls on, sort of this, this separate entity in life. Can I tell you, no, God holds time in the very palm of his hand. And realizing that he sustains that by his mercy in my life, oh, it brings rest and peace even when some things don't change. So 
So it's an arrogance that exhibits itself in how we conduct our lives. Last verse, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is it's sin. And when you read that, you think, well, that doesn't really connect with everything else that James has been talking about. It really doesn't. But it's about living out our inward attitude with outward actions. James is saying, hey, here's the thing. You know what to do. You know the right thing to do. And, and here's the instruction. And so it's not enough just to know about it, but you got to employ this into your life. You got to live this out. But when we know the thing to do and we don't do it, that's the problem. That's the issue. That's where we struggle. It goes all the way back to James chapter 1 and verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at him, <clears throat> excuse me, he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So we know that we're a mist. We've heard that. Yes, we know that God controls all things. We've heard that. We understand that much about him. But do we live our life like we truly believe that? That's the question. And that is a huge question, isn't it? Because I think failure to know those things to do and not do them, James says, is arrogance. Because what we're saying is, I have a better way instead of him being the better way. That I'm smarter, and we have learned over time that God is much smarter than us. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes. And we've learned a long time ago that we make a lousy Savior, we have also learned that we make a lousy king, that we have to some, at po- some point evacuate the throne of our own life and allow God to be enthroned in our life and sit where he needs to be and for you and I to humbly sit at his feet and to come to the realization that one, that God governs all aspects of my life, two, that God sustains my very life by his own mercy. I'm understanding that so God is not surprised by where I am today and God is not taken back by where I am today and when those things in my life come about that I can't I can't remove from my calendar and I can't necessarily change those things that God knows exactly where I am and maybe God is working something even greater than my life than I can see with just my own two physical eyes so how are you approaching the seasons of your life how are you approaching the seasons of your life uh, and, and I finish with this. Uh, I, I ask you a question. Do you think God is surprised about where you are in this season of your life? Do you think God all of a sudden woke up this morning and thought, man, I did not see that one coming in Mark's life, you know? Wow, wow. And, he, and, he, and you know, he, he nudges the, the son, and, and the son says, I didn't see that one either. And the Holy Spirit says, boy, you know, I, I sure didn't, I didn't see that one coming. And no, absolutely not. I think we live life in that that thought sometimes that God is somehow surprised about where we are at this point in my life. How are you approaching that? How are you approaching that in light of the fact that he sustains every moment? He sustains every moment, governs every moment, every event, every result, every accomplishment of our life, and he does that through his mercy and his grace. And when I take that biblical principle and I lay that over the season of my life, Have you ever thought that maybe what we should do for a moment is this, that we should own the season that we're living in? Think about it for a moment. That we should own the season that we're living in. 
I'm not talking about settling, and I'm ta- talking about that you don't stop praying for healing or praying for a relationship, but that we own the season that just maybe God, who governs time and events and results of our life, He's doing something eternal far beyond we could ever understand or ever see within our life. It's a mindset of how we approach the things of our life. Because if you don't see God governing, if you don't see God sustaining by His mercy, if you go through life and you don't own where you are in the season of your life, and believe that God is for you and not against you, and understand the character and nature of God, so God is working for, for the better of your life, if you don't see that, then you will go through life, I believe, resenting the moments that you live in. And you will live a life I think, devoid of satisfaction and fulfillment. You become contemptuous toward God and others. You will always be saying that I was treated unfairly. That I didn't get what I deserve. We've already gone on that road, haven't we? Yeah. That you really don't want what you deserve. We live a life of dissatisfaction and discontentment. But what about occupying where we are for a moment? That if He governs all events and times of our life, He sustains our very life by His mercy, that it's not a surprise that we are where we are to Him. That possibly there is an eternal purpose for where I am today. There is something eternal working in my life that I just maybe can't see. But I believe He is a God who governs and sustains. So I trust Him. What about occupying the season of your life? A relationship? A profession? Ah. Maybe it's a place that you are in your health. And I'm not saying that you stop praying for healing. That's not what I'm praying. That's not what I'm saying, or or nor would I pray for you. That's that's not not it at all. But what is God doing in your life where you are? What is God showing you? Because it's all about His glory and our joy. So what is God doing? What's he doing? I think for some of us who sort of live life like we sort of live like life like we're showing up in, and and you know it is November, but it necessarily doesn't feel like winter yet. I suppose, but it's like coming to church in January. January is pretty cold, so we can kind of relate to that. It's like showing up here in January and. You show up in shorts and a t-shirt, sunglasses, sunscreen. You come to church, you're going to go say, you know, I'm going to go lay out and, you know, get some, catch some rays after church. And it's like 20 degrees outside, you know, 
And no matter how much you deny that it's winter, it's still going to be winter. So have you ever thought about like getting a coat on and putting some pants on and occupying the season of our life for something? God governs all areas. God governs all areas. So we rest and trust in Him. But I want out, Mark. You don't understand. I, I want out of this. You know, I want to tag out. I, I'm done. And, and I've been thinking about quitting. And I've been thinking about throwing in the towel and all those kind of cliches that we could kind of come up with. You know, this is football season. And this is the South. So, you know, we, we know what that is, right? That we, we love our football. Saturdays in the streets of our southern towns, they're abandoned, you know, like a scene from The Walking Dead. There's nobody around, right? Because everybody's, you know, it's football time. There's a... There's a a phrase or a term that's used in football, it's called play to the whistle. Have you heard it? It's called play to the whistle. And what that means is this, that the play is never over until the whistle is blown. Because you may pick up a yard or two before the whistle is blown. Just because you're a running back and you have, you know, you have... You have eight tacklers hanging over you, hanging all over you. You're dragging them down the field. You don't stop moving until the whistle is blown. And I think for some of you in this room, in the situation, the season in your life, you stop moving. You've assumed that the whistle has been blown. You you stopped. You stopped fighting. You stop believing. You stop trusting God that God governs all areas of your life. That God sustains your very life by His mercy. And so you have just, you stop. You quit. Can I tell you? Play to the whistle until God says it's over. Never quit. Never give up. Because he will never quit. And he will never give up on you. You play till he blows the whistle. Why? Because he is the one who governs every aspect of our lives. He knows. He knows what is about to happen in your life. God knows. He is the one who sustains your life by His very mercy. He gives you the next moment and the next breath because He is a merciful and a loving God toward you. So don't quit. Don't give up. You play, you play to the whistle. It's not how long I live. I think it's really, that's not the statement here. It's not. 
but it's how I live my life. I think that's the statement that James is saying. I, I read a quote, I'm not sure where it came from some time ago, but it says this, will you use your story or will your story use you? That I choose to believe that in the midst of the toughest times of my life, that hope arises because I serve a God this morning who governs every aspect and result and accomplishment of my life. And he sustains me by his mercy every second. So I trust him. I trust him. Would you bow your heads for a moment with me this morning? Father, for those moments in our lives that we can't change, for those commitments that we can't remove from our schedule, for those events that we are committed to, and we can't back away from those commitments, for the pressure, for the time, and all those things that we feel in life. Oh, may we know as we lay these biblical principles over the season of our life that you are a God who governs every aspect of our existence. And you are a God who sustains our very life with your mercy. And so, Father, even in the toughest moments, even in the struggles, the unexplainables, that in light of who you are, we own the moment that we're in. We own the season that we're in. And we say, God, what are you teaching me? And what are you doing in my life that has eternal value? God, God, what is this about? And who is this for? And, and Lord, if it's just for me, then I accept that. Because I know that all things work together for my good. And you are a good father. And so I, I see your hand at work. And when I can't see your hand at work, I believe that your hand is at work. And I trust you. And I trust you. And I own the season where I am today. Believing. Believing, Lord, that seasons are seasons and things will change. And there will be a new season for me in life. But right now, I believe that you are working right where I am. So I own it. Thank you, Father. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Thank you, Father.